podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Brianna. I'm eating. Her and taco. Amanda. <laughs> I'm Amanda. She inspected her taco thoroughly so she could eat it. Yep. It's delicious. Where's your taco from? Taco Bell. I guess I should I have couldn't even hear that. Taco Bell. Oh. I thought I, she said buffalo something. I don't know. No, that was a solid mouthful of Taco Bell. I should have also known because Amanda loves Taco Bell. Mm, oh. right. Taco Bell is so good, though. They have a fried chicken taco, <clears throat> which is what I just ate. Not bad. You want to know what's even better than Taco Bell? Beethoven's. Real nothing. What? Beethoven's? 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 Never toes. Beethoven's. Yeah. Beyonce's toes? Beethoven's? No. Me Rancherito? Or Me Ranchero? Listen, I'm. I don't know what you're, I don't know what those things are. They're restaurants in Utah. So when you guys visit me in Utah, I'll take you to Beto's and you'll understand. You're Perfect. not Southern, so I don't know if we'll like it as much as you do. I'll bring my own sweet tea. <laughs> Just like you don't like sweet tea. Exactly. Y'all, hey, but you thinking of this, I was north. literally asking Bryce if she likes raspberry tea or strawberry tea or lemonade tea or lemon tea or peach tea. She said none. I don't like tea. I don't like tea. I don't like coffee either. Get the fuck out. Get out of this okay, podcast. I don't, I don't like coffee, though. I don't like coffee. Oh, I, I can't do tea, this. though. I will drink Mango. my black tea. I've got chai tea. I've got English breakfast tea. I've got afternoon tea. I've got This is America. I've literally got all my okay, tea. Amanda, just that means more coffee for you. We're not taking up any of the coffee supply. Drink coffee if I want to, but... No sugar, no cream, just black. Thank you. Don't do it anyway. Anyway, shape four. Anyways, well... like it the way my dad does. Yuck. Mm -hmm. Well, welcome to episode 17, where we're apparently going to go off about tea. (laughs) We are currently the legal age in Texas. Congratulations, y'all. Legal age to... To do do illegal things. Exactly. What? Well, Smoke? to be tried oh. as an adult in court. Oh, well, that's a few different states, if not most of them. Probably so, own a bazooka because it's Texas. Probably. Actually, I feel like that legal age is probably way, way lower. <laughs> yeah, I think it's four and a half. <laughs> to own a gun in Texas. <laughs> Yeehaw. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's. 18 or 21, but don't quote me on that. There's no way because no, it's 16 I don't in believe Alabama. It. Legal, hold on, age I think to own a gun in Texas. Holy shit, it's 21. I fucking tell you! I'm pretty, oh, sure, that, I'm pretty sure that's a federal law. Did you have to oh, be 21 to own a gun? Mm-mm. No. Wait, 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 it's 18. Okay, I said 18 or 21. But there's, it says, tw- so basically I Googled it and the first thing on Google says 21, but when you look down lower, it says 18. So in some states, like in Alabama, for example, it depends on the gun. You can have a shotgun before you can have a pistol. 
Maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the Yukawa. Obviously, you can't have a bazooka at age, I don't know, four. Whatever the hell you said. Own a bazooka either way. I don't know. I don't have a bazooka, nor do I have the need for a bazooka. Maybe like a t shirt cannon. That would be kind of cool. That might be kind of fun. Yeah. We should literally get one of those for, I don't know, whenever we go on like our first talk show or something, you know, we should like hide it back underneath our shirt and be like boom, 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 boom. I think that's a little too big to hide under my shirt <laughs> wear a baggy ass shirt Bryce I don't know listen there's not room in any of my clothes for a t-shirt gun Hannon I've got some baggy ass motherfucking shirts I can well, there's no need to brag Bryce yeah <laughs> I don't know how that's bragging. I'm pretty sure Breeze was more bragging than mine. No, it's bragging that you don't have room in your clothes to fit a bazooka. Yeah, I'm taking that as a negative thing. Oh, I was taking it as a you're so healthy thing. No. <laughs> taking it the other way. Well, I mean, you know, I've got to wear like a bra that's, you know, like two size two sizes bigger than mine and then, you know, like put it you know, I like, don't get the feeling the that I get the feeling that a t-shirt cannon is much bigger than you think. No, actually it's not. I've seen one in person and it's really not that big. I mean, you can get like a handheld one that's really only like this tall. Well, probably more like this tall, but you know, like the actual cannon part is like this tall. These images on Google do not, they are like this long. You gotta search compact. Oh, compact. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like a car. Excuse me, I keep burping. I'm sorry, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, these are still not gonna fit in anyone's shirt. Oh. Wait, did that actually work? Because I was just talking out of my ass. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Fine. Then I will literally stick it in my ass and they can't say shit. If I I were (laughs) my... If it's too big to be under your shirt, Brie. <laughs> okay, here's what we'll do. I'll wear sweatpants <laughs> that day, y'all. Okay? I have an alternate oh, no, suggestion no, 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 for no, no, you. No, wait, just wait, just wait. I'm going to wear sweatpants that day, okay? Nobody is going to suspect anything because who the fuck cares, right? You're just wearing sweatpants. But, I mean, you should be dressing up, but, I mean, who the fuck cares? Okay, so I'm going to wear sweatpants that day, right? I'm going to walk in. Nobody's going to suspect anything. And it's not going to take off the alarms because it's not metal, right? Actually, they are metal. Okay. No, there's plastic. Anyways, uh, in, in this scenario, they're plastic. <laughs> oh, okay. I do have an alternate okay. suggestion for you when so you're done. I, so I walk in, right? All right. I'm going to stick it under the pant leg of one of the sweatpants, right? So that way, you know, I mean, nobody can search me. I'm I'm a woman. You better not fucking search me, okay? I walk in with it in my pant leg. All I have to do is just pretend that I have a stiff leg. Oh, oh my God, my stiff leg, right? So nobody is going to ask any questions. It's just a leg that's stiff, right? You can't say anything about it. The ends. I walk into the Ellen DeGeneres show wearing a t-shirt. Boom. We can and always I, just and throw then, and then, right? I have a I different put it out. Boom. T-shirt cannon. Okay. 
Alternate Speaking suggestion. Speaking of Ellen DeGeneres, I love you. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever listened to these podcasts? Okay, are you ready for your alternate suggestion, which is much more simple? We'll just get you a slingshot, and then me and Amanda can hold one end, and you can fling the slingshot t-shirts to the people. Further alternate suggestion? We use a bra. Fun enough. I like the bra. not appropriate. Yeah, but if we use a bra, then you have two spaces, and you can sling two shirts at once instead of just one. It's efficient. It's ingenious. Mm -hmm. Or just make a slingshot with two spaces instead of one. So it would basically be a bra anyway, so. Yeah, I already have a bunch of them in my drawer, way ahead of you. I mean, we need a pretty big-ass size bra, though. I'm sure we can find them, don't worry. Plus, we would All need right. a fourth person to hold, you know, both sides. Like, How both sides of the... Well, no, okay, so you we... fling from the center. You don't grab the cups and fling, you grab the center. But then if you've got two of them, <laughs> wouldn't they just straight up knock into each other when they fling? Well, Who that's cares? the risk We're not we take. Them. Yeah. We don't care. Someone will catch them. Haven't you ever been to Mardi Gras? Nobody gives a shit how you throw things. You just throw them. But if you throw it wrong the first time, everybody's going to get really fucking bum hurt. Not at Mardi Gras. Everybody's Bra. too drunk to Ooh. care at Mardi Gras. Let's just go fling It's not at Mardi, Mardi Gras. Gras. It's our first get-together. With all of our fans. But you didn't just hear me say, let's go fling t-shirts at drunk people at Mardi Gras. Y'all, we should literally go to, like, parties and shit and just, like, fling t-shirts at people. Okay. Done deal. So smart. Let's do it. All right. All right. Well, I guess that tells everyone how we are. Yeah. Don't we have a podcast or something we're supposed Uh to be doing? I did want to tell you guys, my dad... Because I was on the phone with him before we started recording. And my dad says, what's up? Hi, dad. Hi, daddy. Also, we would like to acknowledge that it was my mother's 49th birthday. Happy birthday, mom. We love you so much. Yes. Happy um, birthday, Bree, mom. Bree told us late, so happy birthday. Yeah, she told us I next I told week. you on her birthday. I told you on her birthday okay. that it was her But by birthday. the time this comes out, it's too late. She doesn't even know that we said it on her birthday. I told her that it would be two weeks late. Three weeks, I think. Isn't it three weeks? Maybe it's only two. I don't know. This two one do- doesn't come out for two weeks. So two weeks, yeah. Dose. Regardless, Mama Porter, it's Bree's fault. That's how we're going to play this game. We're innocent. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? No, we did that for Amanda's boyfriend. Amanda. Amanda's Amanda does not have a boyfriend. <laughs> okay, you're going to get me in trouble. Are you sure he's not hiding in the attic? Are you sure he's not hiding in the attic? Or no, I hope not. Well, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, that's one from our previous episodes. Um, Please go and listen to it right now before you listen um, to this one because yeah, it's but, very crucial for you to get this story but yeah. um regardless that's not what amanda's husband told us so what no did james tell us i knew about that's james's not birthday what amanda well told us i didn't i put it on the calendar i had no idea mm-hmm. but i don't check the calendar Unless I, like, have no idea what I'm doing when I'm doing it. It was on the calendar, so. All right, well, I think we have a podcast or stories to tell or something like that, so. Yeah, let's get to it, Sean. All right, Bree, your, your time to shine. 
All right. So, hold on one sec. I'm really fucking stuffed up. So, I'm sorry if I pause this at any moment to mute myself and to get it all out of my system. All right, let's go. The Charlie Project profiles over 15,000 cold cases of missing people who have disappeared without a trace. One specific case stood out in the Charlie Project, which archives the five Sauter children. So the Sauter family, there were 10 in total. And the names of these five missing Sauter children get mixed up because of the number of years that have passed. But here's the general consensus. On Christmas Eve night, 1945, Betty, Maurice, Martha, Louis, and Jenny or Jeannie asked their parents to stay up past their bedtime to play with their new toys. My guess is that because the children were so excited and because they had such a big family, the parents, George and Jenny, let the kids open a few presents before Christmas Day, and that's why they wanted to play with their new toys. Their parents let them stay up as their parents let them stay up as long as they agreed to do their chores before bed. And this is where the story gets a little bizarre. A little after midnight, Jenny Sauter, the children's mother, woke up to the telephone ringing. She answered it, and another woman was on the line asking to speak with someone that Jenny didn't know. When Jenny said this on the phone, the woman laughed and just hung up. She believed it was a prank call, but before she went back to sleep, she noticed that all the lights were on in the home, the shades were up, and all of the doors were unlocked. It doesn't say what she did, but my guess is that she relocked the doors, she closed the shades, and turned off all the lights in the rooms. Her children were not playing in before going back to bed, but maybe she did it. As I said, there was no mention of what she did. Jenny woke up shortly after to a banging noise on the roof, followed by a loud bang after the phone call, but just dismissed this as a dream. And at 1.30 a.m., she woke up with the realization that her house was on fire. She called for her husband and children to get out. But when she got outside, George and her husband, George is her husband, George, her husband, noticed that the five children that stayed up late to play, Betty, Maurice, Martha, Louis, and Jenny, or Jeannie, were missing and must have still been in the house. So George tried to find this ladder that he kept on the side of the house to reach their bedrooms, but he searched and searched for this ladder and it was not where he had left it. He later found the ladder down an embankment away from the Sauter family home. According to Adelina, and I hope I pronounced this right, according to Adelina Lanciensis from the Times West Virginia, the family flagged down a man who was passing by, which is pretty odd to me considering it was Christmas Eve and it was also 1.45 in the morning. But anyways, they flagged down a man. 
known as a good Samaritan who drove into the town to alert the city fire department. He asked, quote, are you going to the fire? I don't know. Fire Chief Morris allegedly replied. And at the fire, someone spectated or someone exclaimed that she saw a tiny face among the flames in an upstairs window. One man, Lonnie Johnson, was later arrested for stealing a tool from the debris. And the solder house burned to ashes in less than 40 minutes after the fire initially started. And y'all, that's pretty fast for an entire house because usually Wait, it in less than 40 minutes in less than 40 minutes yeah it said that yeah all of the sources that i read said that it, it burns between 20 and 40 minutes was there any um damn what do you call it accelerants do we know i'm i'm gonna get i hope i get into that i'm gonna get into that later if, if I don't have it in my notes, I'll definitely mention it later. Because that still seems really fast. It was, yeah. I mean, it's extremely fast for an entire house. But the firefighters did not arrive until 8 a.m. The holiday season and many men at war at that time meant that the fire department was short-staffed and... It was very hard for them to get to, say, every single fire or every single emergency. The fire department blamed the fire on faulty wiring, although no one knows for sure because there are some people who believe that it was no accident that these children went missing, that this fire ended up starting, which I will get into later. But some sources say officials could not find any remains of the children in the ashes of the fire, and other reports state some bone fragments and possible organs were located of these children, which I will also get into later. The house's telephone line had been cut sometime before or after the fire, but again, this is something that never comes up after the coroner's jury ruled. But a coroner's jury ruled that the Sauter children died in the fire. Afterwards, George Sauter plowed over the remains of their home and planted flowers in the memory of his lost children. Aww. Really sad. The house's telephone line had been cut sometime before or after the fire, but again, this is something that never comes up after the coroner's jury ruled. The family realized that if the fire had been electrical or the result of faulty wiring, that the lights downstairs made no sense whatsoever because the because how would the lights have been dead? There was also a witness who had come forward claiming to have seen a man at the scene of the fire taking something used for car engines called a block and tackle. And I'm sorry, I forget what that means. But if you want me to look that up, I totally can. No, I think you're good. Okay. I think it has something to do with the engine. Mm -hmm. Look, we're not car junkies, okay? Okay, so all of this happened in 1945. According to Lan... 
According to Lanciansis, I hope I'm pronouncing that right once again. After hearing a rumor in 1947 that that Fire Chief Morris found a human heart in the ashes, the Sodders confronted him. They discovered a box containing the supposed heart upon a search of the property. The Sodders sent the mass to a local funeral director who confirmed that it was not a human heart, but a beef liver. Before the Sodders' private investigator could retrieve this box, it mysteriously disappeared. The police determines that the Sodders were misled by, quote, wild dreams and fantasies, end quote. I'm confused as to how anything can be left over when this house burnt down in 40 minutes. When you say anything, like, what do you mean? Like, I understand possessions wouldn't be, but like, skeletal remains would be. Yes, skeletal remains would be, but not a heart in a box. If the house burns down so fast, then there wouldn't, if the house did not burn down so fast, there wouldn't have been any skeletal remains because it would have burned the bones. However, because the house burns down so fast, there were some bones left over. However, the fact that it was a beef liver and not actually a human heart is very bizarre. And it's bizarre to everyone else following this case as well. I don't think... Well, uh, bones, bones burn at a higher temperature than the rest of the body, so it would ha- have had to have been significantly higher for bones to burn. That even goes for cremation as well. A lot yeah, of we times used during- to cremate at 1600 degrees minimum, and there were still bones left over. Like the, the heat that you would have to have to incinerate bones to the point where they're not there anymore is not going to happen with a house. Mm-hmm. Even with accelerant, it's not likely that it'll mm-hmm. happen. However, George and Jenny never gave up hope. They believed their children were not killed by the fire, but kidnapped and the fire deliberately set to cover up the crime committed, whatever that crime may have been. The kidnapping? Right? Possibly. So, there was one man by the name of FJ, or at least that's what he's called in police reports and other documents associated with this case or news reports or what have you. He was the co-signer of the Sodders House Insurance and supposedly increased their insurance on the home without their knowledge. 60 days before this fire, FJ told Jenny to take out life insurance on their children. However, Jenny and George refused. He Wait, be- taking out life insurance on your children seems really strange to me. I mean, it doesn't to me, but just because, like, I'm paranoid. But I do want, who the, who the hell is FJ? Like, if you don't live in this house, why are you co-signed on this insurance? He reportedly told them, quote, Your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke, and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you have made about Mussolini. End quote. 
Where, wait, why does Mussolini what? have anything to do with okay. this? You're probably thrown off at that comment, as was I, especially at the Mussolini part. Well, according to Karen Abbott from the Smithsonian Magazine, George Sauter was an Italian immigrant who immigrated to the United States in 1908. His brother accompanied him to Ellis Island, but immediately returned to Italy. Abbott says, quote, George was indeed outspoken about his dislike for the Italian dictator, occasionally engaging in heating arguments and heated arguments with other members of the Fayetteville's Italian community, end quote. This was were they, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Were they friends before this happened? I'm, like, I'm still not, I'm still confused as to why this guy would threaten your life. And then you're like, hey, I know we don't get along and you like Mussolini and I don't like Mussolini, but do you want to be like co-signer on my insurance? Okay, so from what I can understand, this was back when George first bought the house. So back when maybe his wife was first pregnant at the time, or maybe when they were even married at the time. And excuse me. I'm so sorry. I keep Wait, they have been married already? Yeah. Yes. Pregnant so or married. I I'm believe confused. I believe it was when she was pregnant at the first time, but it also could have been when she when they had just gotten married and they oh, were looking oh. for a new house to start a family. Hey, I, got, uh, I, okay. I got it now. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think that this FJ guy, you know, liked the couple, liked George and Jenny at first. And he thought that they were a great couple. And then, you know, once they started having 10 children, AKA, you know, I don't know, maybe seven Six years later, he said, oh, well, you're super outspoken about this guy, but I don't, I like him, so you're a dick kind of thing. Like we've all also, been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Lanciensis. Lanciensis. Lankensis. Lanciensis. I don't know. Yeah, I don't fucking know. Never mind. Just, I was going to help, but no. I got nothing. It's L-A-N-C-I-A-N-S-E-S. I didn't catch any of that. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Spell L-A-N. C-I-A-N. S-E-S. Lancensis. Lanciansis. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Did you put it in Google? Google that was- <laughs> That scared her. Did y'all see that? <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that looks like a misspell is what it looks like to me. Oh, I mean, it's literally L-A-N-C-I-A-N-S-A-S. There are no results for Lancasses. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, according to Lanciensis, or however you pronounce it, the police never questioned FJ. The Sodders said the Fayetteville prosecuting attorney did not want to bring a case against, quote, people with whom he had to live and eat, end quote. F- For reference, FJ served as chairman of the coroner's inquest of the fire on December 26, 24th, 1945. That seems like a slight conflict of interest, like very minor. 
Hey, wait, repeat that for me because I was still stuck on the, the name. <laughs> the police never questioned FJ. The, the police okay. never questioned FJ. The okay. Sodder said the Fayetteville prosecuting attorney did not want to bring a case, quote, against people with whom he had to live and eat, end quote. For reference, FJ served as chairman of the coroner's inquest of the fire on December 24th, 1945. Why do people say public things anymore? <laughs> Given it was like 1945, but... It, it still became public, I don't care. Honestly, y'all, this case is bizarre to me. And I will get into that a little bit later as soon as I tell y'all about everything that went down. But just... Hold you your head. House. No. Sorry. That's Even a bad more. Joke. The whole house went down. Everything that went down, meaning everything that happened during that time period. But please, Amanda, with your jokes, I'm curious. We're just going to crash and burn soon. It's fine. Like the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm stopping. Neighbors of the Sauter family and other witnesses reported sightings of these children that were missing in the area shortly after they were presumed dead. The Sodders attempted to reopen the case, but the police refused for many years due to lack of evidence. The police also believed that no crime had ever been committed. In 1949, George and others close to the Sodder family dug up the site of his former home to search for the missing children's remains. Only four pieces of vertebrae and two small bones, possibly from a child's hands, were found. A pathologist who assisted with the search remarked that it was unusual so little was found, as the fire was quick burning and should not have so completely destroyed the children's remains. The pathologist believed that the bones that were located were from a 14 to 15 year old which matched Maurice's age, one of the children missing, the oldest child missing. But due to the location the bones were found on the floor, in the floor plan of the house, George did not believe they were from his son. Another analysis conducted later... Wait, 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 wait. What other 14 or 15-year-old would have had bones there? Exactly. Could they have been planted? Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay, we're on to something here. We're we're making progress. <laughs> me and Bri are, me and Bryce are on the case. We can be detectives this time. <laughs> Another analysis conducted years later determines that the bones were in fact from a 16 to 22 year old person. Although these burns the uh, although these bones had no sign of fire damage. It was suggested these might have been planted at the site from a cemetery nearby, but no evidence ever supports this claim. That's so the they're saying, wait, time out. Grave robbing is my thing. I don't think you're allowed to take it. <laughs> there, there is so much unexplained about this case, but... I mean, there's so much that you just can't know because of the lack of research and 
evidence that there was. There was literally a heart in the evidence pile that turned out to be beef liver. We have no idea what ended up happening in this case. We have no idea what ended up happening to these five kids. I mean, this Still? fire, if, if you can believe, there was 40 minutes of fire burns down an entire fucking house. There was also, so, I mean, there was nothing that pointed back to any of these kids. It's just a complete mystery to this day. Spoiler, Amanda. To answer your question, it's still a mystery today. I don't like it. Okay. We didn't ask if you did, but okay. Well, that's apparent. In 1951... A letter was written to the West Virginia State Police by George and Jenny Sauter that reads, The only thing we cannot tell you is who did it or where they took our children. Can't you help us now? End quote. No, For I'm this, sorry, I cannot. I mean... I'm not a very they, good detective. The Sauters hired private investigators. They hired everything to help them on this case. But it just, I mean, so many years went by and nothing happened. So many years went by and nothing happened. And anyways, there's another story that left the Sauters on hope for until literally the day that any of them died. And there are two separate reports of this. The first one goes as follows. Excuse me. In 1968, George and Jenny received a photograph in the mail of a young man. He was in his mid-twenties. I'm sorry, y'all. I forgot to tell y'all to look at the Google Drive pictures, but y'all can go ahead and look at both of them. Oh, I already already was. was. Jinx. Hey, well, that was way different timing. Don't even try it. <laughs> Bull. The only difference is you said, oh. We both said I already I said, was. I said different timing. That was not different timing. Yes, that was. Well, we'll see when you edit. When we edit. Oh, fine. When we edit. Fine. fine. On the back of the photograph were these words. Louis Sauter. I love Brother Frankie. Colon, I-L-I-L, boys. A-9-0-1-3-2, or possibly A-9-0-1-3-5. The Sodders believes that this photograph was a photograph of their son, Lewis, as an adult, but they were unable to verify this theory. That's the second photo, by the way. What the photo that was is this? Again, I have no clue. I, could, I couldn't even tell you. The man you, in the photo. What? Sorry, is Lewis the first kid? Like the very first photo of the kid, do you know? Because that, they do look a lot alike. That first photo must have been Maurice because he's the eldest. And I know for a fact that the eldest who went miss, the oldest that went missing was Maurice. I think that the. I think that Lewis is the third kid. The only other boy? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
I can see that. Honestly, to me, when I looked at it, it looks like he had the same eyes. The facial structure is kind of the same, too. The Sodders believed this was a photograph of their son, Louis, as an adult, but they were unable to verify this theory. The man in the photo remains unidentified to this day, and it's not known who sent the picture to the Sodders and why. This first theory explains the photograph on the Charlie Project website, and the second theory is that in 1967, not 1968, the family received a letter from a woman in Houston. She said she was with a drunken young man who claimed to be you, who claimed to be Lewis Sauter. George Sauter drove to Texas to meet with her, but the woman who wrote the letter refused to speak with him. And after this, before this, literally everywhere in between, Jenny and George search for their children for literally the rest of their lives. They posted a billboard advertising for a return, for a reward for their safe return. And George ended up dying in 1969, one to two years, depending on the story again, after they found this photograph of Lewis Sauter, or possibly not Lewis Sauter. It's never really confirmed. And Jenny later died in 1989. Many people theorize that the missing children were killed in the fire. And their parents were simply unable to accept the loss. But others believe that the children were intent, were indeed abducted, and there were poss- and they were possibly taken to Italy. Now, the theory that the theory behind Italy, from what I know, is that because George was an immigrant from Italy to Ellis Island. There is this theory that they were taken to Italy because there's no way that the Sodders would ever be able to find them if they went back to Italy. But it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I found many sources saying, yeah, they went to Italy. And then I found many sources saying, yeah, they went to this part of the United States. There's really no telling in if these kids were abducted, where their abductor may have taken them. Well, people- yeah, that's what I was going to say. You could literally take them anywhere and it would be hard to find them. Yeah. Well, also, didn't people claim to have seen them around town after the incident? Many people did claim to see them out of town, but the but thing my- is, the coroner's jury that ruled on this case didn't even take those into consideration. I mean, we have no idea where these children went after the fire. Hell, they could have literally been on a plane ride that evening, and we would have no idea. Well, it just feels like if they were seen around town, they would have said something, or I don't know, it just seems, I guess maybe they were threatened, and they might not have, but it just seems like they would have been I mean, who the hell knows? It could have just been one of those 1940s cases. I mean, it was documented during wartime, and 
who knows, it could have just been a case that was just, I don't want to say unidentified, but didn't have a lot of information due to lack of staff. But it's still weird to think that so many things are just up in the air. For example, how the hell did that house burn down in 40 minutes? And how the hell were there no bone fragments of the five missing children that somehow disappeared? It's just odd to think. Yeah, the whole thing's crazy to me. Also, where the hell is the ladder? You said the ladder he was going to use to get to the kids on the second story, right? So that's a big-ass ladder. How does this, I'm guessing, six, eight-foot, ten-foot ladder just disappear? The ladder, as I said, the ladder was down an embankment close to the house, but it wasn't at the house where he had left it on the Mm -hmm. side of the house. So it... it's not Hold like on, the I've... winds or anything could have pushed it over and made it tumble. Right. Like if it had fallen from wind, it would have just fallen next to the house. It wouldn't have fallen that far away. And the fact, I mean, that plus the fire, plus the fact that the phone line was cut. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's such a bizarre story and there's not enough information to just, Go off, you know, like, I don't know, 30 different articles. Because <laughs> everything says, like, something different. But it's, it's just so bizarre that, I mean, it's, it's so fucking bizarre. I may honestly do another Charlie Project case for y'all because they're so fucking interesting. I've read, like, 20 of them. What the hell is that? Charlie Project profiles over 15,000 cold cases of missing people who have disappeared without a trace. And this is where I initially got the evidence for this case against the Sauter children. And honestly, it is terrifying. I mean... That's where you got the evidence? The... Yeah. Information? What did I say? You said evidence. (laughs) You said this is (laughs) is where I got the evidence for this case. And this is where I got the information for this case. And honestly, it is fucking terrifying. I mean, the fact that, yes, the ladder, the fact that the phone line was cut, the fact that the house just disintegrated, I mean, literally burns to fucking ashes in 40 minutes is just so disturbing. I mean, it's beyond me, y'all. It is motherfucking beyond me. I can't. But regardless, the younger solder child, Jenny or Jeannie, I still cannot tell you which one is which because- I think it's Jeannie. Half of of the sources say Jenny, half of the sources say Jeannie. And then half of the sources also say the mom's name is Jenny, i.e., and then half of the sources say the mom's name is Jenny Y. <laughs> you know, that's when you choose one source and go, you are the source of truth for my <laughs> spelling purposes. Well, I, want, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm saying like the accurate information. But still, the youngest daughter child, Jenny or Jeannie, who was an infant, many sources say, other sources say she was about two, 
at the time of the fire, is 77 years old today and still trying to determine what really happens to her brothers and sisters. She too believes that something happens to them. Something that no one knows today. No one can point out today. No one really can determine based off of the evidence given. And if you have any information about the Sauter children or about this case, please contact at please contact us at hellonheelspodcasts at gmail.com and we would love to be able to help solve this case. I don't know how we're going to help, but email us because then we get in on the juice and that's what we like. We I do will like juice. Because we will <laughs> post the evidence. Oh god. We will help because we will post the evidence and share it with the police department and Therefore, get this case solved. The end. Have a good day. Goodbye. I just like the juicy juice. I like to be part of the, not part of the drama. I like hearing the drama. Don't want to be part of it, but I sure want to hear it. Hard pass on the drama. I just want to hear it. I don't want to be part of it. I don't think anybody wants to be a part of these cases. No, no, no. I said drama. I didn't say these cases. Oh, okay. I wasn't listening when you talk. Well, I know. I hope you turned your listening ears on for my story. You hope I turned them on? Yeah. You haven't even started yet. Why would I listen to you? You're (laughs) still not saying saying anything worth hearing. You know what, bitch? It's for my story. (laughs) I said turn them on for the story. Not right now. Okay. Here. So. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Listening ears on for my story. You're kind of a bitch, and you should go back and rewind and listen to my story because it's very important. It's very crucial to literally so many people who believe in this case. There are thousands. So many people who believe in this case. It is so important. What do you mean I believe in this case? Two of you were talking at the same time. Please slow down. I just want to know what you mean by believe in this case. Like, is it optional to believe that this happened or not? I'm confused. Okay. No. So many people who believe... My bad. So many people who believe that this case was not just a fire, but the kids were actually abducted. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. Amanda, it's your turn. Uh, what were you saying? She's probably going to say something about burning the house down. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't remember. That was too long ago. Fire joke. It was literally 30 seconds ago. No joke. Yeah. Too that long was ago. Literally 30 <laughs> seconds too Whatever. long. You can't look. This is just how my brain works. I don't know. I'm probably ADD or some <laughs> shit. Okay. Like, just ask James. He deals with this all the time. That was a good one. I do like the solder. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like the story, but I don't like it. All right. I'm excited for my story because it's kind of sort of a two-part episode, but not really because I talked about Skinwalkers last episode. And this episode, we're going to talk about Skinwalker Ranch. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. I'm very excited because Skinwalker Ranch is absolutely insane. I've got about 10 pages worth of notes, so please buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. All right, <clears throat> I even wrote something to read because I liked the verbiage of how I wrote it so much that I was like, I better type this up before I forget it. <clears throat> forget it. Forget it. I'm not going to forget it. Anyways, so whether you prefer to call it the Alien Highway, UFO Ranch, or UFO Alley, 
You cannot deny the crazy mystery surrounding one of the most well-researched paranormal hotspots on Earth. Skinwalker Ranch. Damn, that was good. That was a good intro. Yo, let's give Bryson Crafts that claps. I said claps. I don't want your claps. I said claps. Let's give Bryson claps. That was really fucking good, y'all. I was walking out already. Later. Oh my hell! Gross. I thought it was obviously. I meant to say claps, not craps. I thought you, you said crabs. <laughs> you disgusting-minded people. Brie, you are the one that said you were putting stuff, something up your butt today, Crap. okay? I, when did I say that, ever? Talking about the You're t-shirt cannon. <laughs> okay, y'all, I said that I would put that in my pants, not up my motherfucking ass. You said you said, you your said butt. butt. Mm-hmm. Jinx. I don't know, y'all. No, there's too much time in between. <laughs> Leave me alone. I guess the recording will tell. Yeah, it will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so we were talking about Skinwalker Ranch, um, which is located. Wow. Amanda really just, like, protested that, didn't she? No, no, I'm still <laughs> here. Keep going. Okay, y'all. All right. So, Skinwalker Ranch is located just outside of Ballard, Utah, which is actually the northeast portion of Utah. It's like a two and a half hour drive for myself. Congratulations. Skinwalker Ranch is actually the most scientifically, or they claim to be the most scientifically researched paranormal hotspot in the world. Um, I don't know if that's true, but at least publicly it might be true. Now, it is... 512 acres. It is a secured site in the Uinta Basin. Um, and Uinta Basin was named after the Ute tribe and is surrounded by Ute tribal properties. That comes up in just a second. Along the expanse of the property, which you guys can actually go into the very first picture, and along the expanse of the property on the northern part or the top part of the picture, you guys can actually see a mesa that runs along that. And that is actually called Skinwalker Ridge. And they have a lot of really strange occurrences, sites, and things that happen there. Yes, Bree, thank you for raising your hand. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. But there are two, there's a rectangular outline and there's also a circular outline. Which one would I be looking at for that specifically? We're talking the blue outline. The ridge. The ridge I did not circle. The ridge is all, so you see how there's like the green portion and then there's the, uh, the tan portion above that tan portion is the Mesa. At so the that, top of the screen? Towards the top of the screen. And gotcha. what exactly is the rectangular and the circular portion? I will get into it. Those are things I added. Okay. If you must you know right now, picture? I made the square and the circle on the picture. Yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I gave Did you use a stencil? Picture, the original picture. She found it by me, not by Google. I found it by Bing, but I mean, we can give whoever <laughs> wants credit, credit. <laughs> all right. So we're all on the same page now. We know where the Mesa is. They have a ton of strange occurrences that happen on, near, or around the Mesa in general. Okay. Now, the property is named Skinwalker Wait. Ranch Mesa. 
Is it just the Mesa? No. It just, I was giving you information. Okay. Just for, for shits and giggles, I guess. Yeah. Also, so you guys know when I point out some stuff, what I'm talking about for Skinwalker Ridge. You were giving us information. For Mesa, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go yeah, on both said I'm actually really things. excited. She said information. You said information. information. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Point <laughs> is, is that the property is named Skinwalker Ranch based off of the Navajo legend of the Skinwalker. Which, if you guys are slacking, that was the previous episode. Episode 16? We were on 17. 16. Yeah, we are currently on 17. It was 16. So, episode 16. So, I'm just going to recommend, if you guys have not listened to 16 and want to know more about Skinwalkers, just go back to 16 and listen to that one, because you'll get a whole history. And boy, oh boy, was that one a wild ride. Well, for those of you that didn't watch episode 16... Very, very brief overview of what a skinwalker is. It's basically a Navajo witch or shaman that use black magic to become a shapeshifter. And they like to shapeshift into like a wolf or other animals. Now, the reason that the Navajo and the Ute tribes are coming up is because for many, many years, hundreds of years ago, the Utes and the Navajo tribes, they had, I wouldn't say a good relationship, but I wouldn't say like a bad relationship. We'll just call it uneasy. Like they had an uneasy relationship. So on occasion, they would ally with each other. Um, and other times they would ra- raid each other and take slaves from the other tribe. So one way or another, it wasn't great. Now, Sandra Do- Jones, a historian and the author of a, I want to say it was a textbook, but it was called Becoming Ute. She stated it was not friendly. The Navajo were more aggressive people. They took slaves, they had Ute slaves, and there was direct conflict when the Navajo attempted to move up into the Ute territory. So there, there was definitely tension there. Now, the relationship deteriorated even more between the two tribes during the Civil War when the Ute tribe betrayed the Navajo tribe by allying with the U.S. soldiers or the army um, when the army was trying to oust the Navajo. Now, with the help of the Ute tribe, the U.S. Army was successful in taking over the land. And the Navajo ended up surrendering their land and they were forced to march to a reservation in Fort Sumner, which is actually in New Mexico. And so we're talking northeast Utah down to New Mexico. That's a long ass walk. So um, in the 1880s, the Ute tribe, they do move on to reservations in the Uinta Basin. But ever since then, the Ute tribe has been absolutely convinced that the Navajo laid a curse on the land in retaliation for their betrayal. And they basically believe that the Navajo cursed the land to be haunted by skinwalkers. And the Ute believe that that land where skinwalker ranches is what they call in the path of the skinwalkers. So it's going to be like a great party place or something, you know. So due to the belief that the land was cursed, the Ute tribe avoids the area. They're just like, "Mm, nope, peace out, not going near it. Just to point out, there is evidence of um, ancient rock art of the tribes that do depict strange animal-human hybrid creatures since before the Civil War. So it's perfectly possible that the skinwalkers were around beforehand, but then the Navajo were like, all right, fine, it's go time. And they really cursed the land so that it was uninhabitable. So like, And it just got way worse. Yeah. 
I kind of equate it to like a toddler that's like, if I can't have it, you can't have it type thing, you know? So that's that's what I am seeing when that was cursed. Yeah. Granted, I mean, more than a toddler. They were two toddlers. Along, a couple toddlers. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, anyways, so that's really the biggest feud and the biggest lore behind why the land right there is so cursed or so crazy. But now I've got a crazy timeline for you. And a lot of this timeline I got from skinwalkerranch.com. They had this incredible timeline just perfectly laid out. So I took a bunch of those dates from there. So thank you guys for that. Now, that was 1880s Civil War time. In 1905, Monk Shavanoff and his family, they were members of the Ute tribe. They're granted land in part of what we know now as Skinwalker Ranch. Um, the lots in which they inhabited were known as Homestead 2 and 3. Now, on the picture that you guys were so concerned about the square and the circle, the square or the rectangle is approximately where Homestead 2 is. Homestead 3, I have no idea where it is, but Homestead 2 is a big, uh, big feature that we'll, we'll get Why into. Why can't I know where Homestead 3 is? Um, because I don't know where Homestead 3 is, and it's not as big of a deal as Homestead 2. Sometime around, either sometime between 1906 and 1911, the residents begin hearing what they call underground rumblings and possible explosions that can be heard at all times around the ranch. Now, it started between 1906 to 1911, but it continues forward from there. So they still claim to hear these rumblings. Is it like constant or does it come and go? Uh, from what I understood, it comes and goes. It's like one okay. minute, it's fine. The next minute, there's an explosion under your feet. Okay. Yeah. Um, in 1914, Monk Shavanoff sells the land to Henry Litster, who moves in at this time. He moves his whole family in. In 1915, a Christopher Locke claims to have been visited by a strange visitor. And he claims that he was visiting Henry Litster and his family when he was visited. And basically, they state that the visitor came out of nowhere. And he was wearing time-appropriate clothing, so, like, the clothing wasn't a trigger. But underneath that clothing was a blue one-piece outfit. And that was kind of strange to them. And the visitor asks for water. They have this conversation. And then they say that the visitor, when they were done, just kind of walked off and disappeared. Never saw him again. And reportedly, the visitor told Christopher Locke and the Litster family where not to dig on the property. And digging kind of what? is a big thing on the property. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about digging in a minute. Now, the story was so sensationalized and fantastical to them that they claimed that this story was passed down from um, to the next generations as well as next owners of the property so that everyone knew where not to dig. That never sounds good to me. When people are like, hey, would you like to buy this land? Sure. Sign right here and don't ever Warning, dig. Don't dig here, here, or here. I mean, I'd probably, the first thing I would do is dig there, but like, don't tell I me know. how to live my life. I would definitely not dig there. I'm going to have a lot more questions. Okay. We're just on a timeline right now, so let's calm down with questions. Okay. Now, in 1930, the first cattle mut mutilation occurs on Skinwalker Ranch. In 1934, Kenneth and Edith Myers move into the homestead, one of the homesteads, 
And at this point, they're reportedly just leasing the home from Henry Lipster, and they don't own the property. In 1944, a large silver object is seen flying about two miles away from Skinwalker Ranch. In 1945, Henry Litster sells his land to Benton Locke, and the Locke family moves into Homestead 2 and 3. So the Myers were likely living on Homestead 1. And somewhere in the mid-1940s, early 1950s, during the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb testing in Nevada, the Uinta Basin becomes kind of a hot spot for the decay brought by the winds. So they have a lot of radioactive decay come over that area brought by the winds you're laughing should i be concerned no i'm just like shit i'm just loving all these reasons to move to this fucking location it's just one thing after another yeah so you know just nuclear fallout thrown into the sky no big deal Just floating on the breeze nuclear radiation no big deal whatever no biggie fully down for it let's go I'm only two and a half hours away. I'm willing to bet there was radiation or uh, radioactive fallout above me already. So that's what happened to your dog. Are you calling my dog fat or crazy? Maisie crazy. Oh, the Maisie calling Maisie crazy. Yeah. The Maisie Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Okay. Am I tripping? We were literally just talking about radiation. You just said, that's what happened to your dog. And then she just said, are you what (laughs) she's saying that's why my dog is crazy yeah because of the radiation it does give Uh, crazy insane symptoms such as hallucinations vertigo y'all are so mean i i can't that dog dog is just crazy because she's a puppy and she has a lot of emotion and a lot of energy she's a very emotional dog don't you worry about that that's it okay okay in the 1950s and 60s, locals begin reporting a surge of UFO activity in the Uinta Basin. At this time, Skinwalker Ranch doesn't really have any documented UFO sightings, at least nothing that is public. But during this time frame, one of the locals um, named Junior Hicks, who actually becomes like the number one authority on all things Skinwalker in the area, is documenting all of these UFO and cryptid sightings in the Uinta you into basin and he spent decades of his life documenting these he did unfortunately pass away in 2020 but his research was passed on to the current owner of skinwalker ranch now in 1961 benton Locke sold the western part of the ranch to kenneth and edith myers and reportedly they sold it for five thousand dollars um In 1967, UFO sightings just go off the charts for the next year. So between 67 and 68, UFO sightings are absolutely insane that entire year or two years. And in the 70s, cattle mutilations are suddenly very, very common in the Uinta Basin and around the ranch. Just all these crazy things are just building up. In 1978, a Deseret News article comes out discussing the mass sightings of USO USOs, UFOs that were seen within 10 miles from the ranch. And by 1979, there were so many UFO sightings that had been documented by locals. Like it was just absolutely insane. It was very common. And I just found this kind of interesting. In 1981, NASA reportedly built an observatory 16 miles northeast of Skinwalker Ranch. 
And they reportedly deconstructed this in 1989. So they only had this observatory for about eight years. Could I find any more information about that? Absolutely not. But I did find it quite interesting. And not only did they... entire thing. What? Yeah, like, not only did they just abandon it. No, they demolished it. That's okay. Yeah. So... Kind of weird, but all right. Weird. Interesting. Whatever. Um, In 1987, Kenneth Myers reportedly dies and leaves Edith Myers alone on the ranch. And in 1994, the ranch is sold to Terry and Gwen Sherman. And the Shermans move in at this point. In 1996, the Deseret News publishes a story about the strange activity going on at the ranch as reported by Terry and Gwen Sherman. Because they moved in and shit got real. So things were going crazy. And that was in 1996. Just weeks after, still in 1996... Weeks after the article's released, Robert Bigelow buys Skinwalker Ranch for $200,000. And Robert Billow, Bigelow is just a millionaire. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, but he buys the ranch for $200,000. And in 1996, Robert Bigelow and the National Institute for the Discovery of Science, or NIDS, they begin doing research on the ranch. Now, NIDS is actually created and funded by Robert Bigelow himself. So this is his own scientific team that comes in and they do all this research. I was wondering why somebody would buy this and now that makes sense. Yeah, he, I mean, he can. He was just like so convinced about all these things going on at the ranch. He was mind blown and he was like, I must get to the bottom of it. Anyways, in 2004, NIDS is shut down and they are replaced by Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. Um, so from the name, it's still Robert Bigelow, his his research center and all of that fun stuff. And actually, later on, Bigelow Aerospace was receiving funding from the Pentagon themselves. So in 2005, a George Knapp and Colm Keller published the book called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And I'm very upset with myself because I forgot I purchased this book and I never read it, but I own it. So I'll give you guys an update another day. But they actually published this book and they were part of the NIDS team and they basically recount all of these experiences they had in like on the ranch during their time with NIDS all in this book in 2007 reportedly an agent from the DIA or Defense Intelligence Agency reaches out to Robert Bigelow and requests to see the ranch in person and his experience on the ranch motivates Senator Harry Reid's to appropriate 22 million dollars to the study of the ranch so he finds this $22 million and just throws it at the ranch. This is where that Pentagon funding comes from. And yeah, he just throws it like he just takes it. a big bag of money and just launches it at this ranch. Yeah, he just launches it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to go near the ranch. In the world, he, he, uh, he's got all the money in the world. So who the fuck cares? Senator Harry Reid? <laughs> Senator Harry Reid does not have all the money in the world because that's taxpayer money he was using. And in 2007, the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, or AATIP, and the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program, AAWSA, P, <laughs> two secret investigate- investigative efforts that were funded by the U.S. government begin studying UFOs on Skinwalker Ranch. In 2007, the AAWSAP 
loses their funding. And at this point, the AATIP continues their research. So the you two literally <laughs> like we've gone this long and you haven't renamed these fucking places yet. There's so many letters in that name. You might as well say the fucking name because it takes you just as long to say all the letters. AATIP. Okay, okay, the ATIP. <laughs> there you go. It's renamed. <laughs> the ATIP continues their research. And that one is the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. ATIP. Okay. Okay. ATIP. On February 12th, 2012, um, power is actually knocked out in Fort Duchesne. And Fort Duchesne is a city that's just east, southeast of the ranch. And power at Fort Duchesne is knocked out. And the residents see a strange, eerie green glow in the sky above the town. And a UFO was seen by multiple witnesses right near Skinwalker Ranch. Now, in 2012, Bigelow Aerospace loses their funding from the Department of Defense and the ATIP contract expires and is not renewed. So all government funding at this point is pulled away. Now, the reason that the uh, funding for the ATIP stops is because there is kind of news that maybe this was a misappropriation of taxpayer funds. And Senator Reid doesn't really want this getting out at that point. So they're like, nope, no more. Cut off. Now, all research efforts until this way, it was a misappropriation of the taxpayer funds. No way. Are you kidding? I mean, I'll pay to have this research. You're fucking kidding me. I will pay. It's fine. All research efforts between NIDS, the ATIP, the Bigelow Aerospace, everything that we've already mentioned, all the big long names. They're actually considered classified or confidential, and it's unknown what they actually found, if they found anything on the ranch uh, at all. So all of that research is classified. Now, in 2012, they all pull out, and all government funding is taken away. But oddly enough, in 2013, just months after the audit closes... Just so you know, Amanda is... Um, muted, that's why I say this. I can hear a squeaky toy in the background and I know it's not me. Elsewhere! (laughs) Tis the Labrador trying to behave. Anyways, if you hear squeaking, my Labrador is behind me squeaking away on his toy. I'm not gonna make him move because he's not bugging me. So, if it bugs you, sorry. I don't know how to help you there. Sorry. Goodbye. Um, anyways, oddly enough, in 2013, just months after the ATIP closes, a unique and expensive-looking war monument is paid for by the government and put in Fort Duchesne. No explanation huh. on that, but there's a war monument there. Cool, cool. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, in 2016, Skinwalker Ranch is reportedly sold for $4.5 million to an undisclosed buyer. They purchased the property through shell company of adamantium holdings um and the new owner at this point heavily secures the borders and increases security measures um he even goes the length or they even go the length uh to reportedly take over and privatize uh privatize is what i put make a road private that was previously public that went through skinwalker ranch now in 2017 new york times releases the story in which a dod official claims that the government funded program 
Uh, what was I saying? So the New York Times releases the story telling of the DOD um, funding the ATIP, the ATIP, and they confirmed that that funding of the $22 million went to the research on Skinwalker Ranch. Even Senator Henry Reid confirms his involvement in getting the funding, and it was quite scandalous. Bree, don't look too excited. It'll be a minute before we get to, to your uh, controversy <laughs> over here. Okay. I'm now, just in- that for the camera. <laughs> now, okay. in-, in 2020, Brandon <laughs> Fugel reveals himself as the man who purchased the ranch and the head of Audemontium Holdings. I'm probably saying it different ways, but I do have a theory on why he waited so long to reveal himself. And there is a conspiracy theory around it that Brie will cover for us because it's her thing. Point is, is that we'll get to it later on. And then in March of 2020, the TV show Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch airs on the History Channel. So I'm just going to run through a list of the relevant property owners. So 1934 to 1994 was Kenneth and Edith Myers. 94 to 96 is Terry and Gwen Sherman. 96 to 2016 is Robert Bigelow. And then 2016 to the present is Brandon Fugel via Adamantium Holdings. Now, we're going to get into these specific people or groups of people or families or property owners or however you want to know them as. First is Kenneth and Edith Myers. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I added this because it adds to the mystery. As far as I can find, there's either two ways the story goes. Either they just kind of had the typical experiences with like the cattle mutilations and the crop circles and all the things, or they had zero, zero experiences while living on the ranch and nothing happened to them. I want that. It'd be great. So that's all I have on the Myers. And then we get into Terry and Gwen Sherman. The Sherman family states that early on, they just began having these very, very different experiences. They claimed to begin losing as much as 25% of their herd, either due to cattle mutilations on the property or just simply losing the cattles and never being able to find them. They just up and disappeared. And a lot of these cattle mutilations were happening during the daylight, nighttime. They were happening with surgical precisions and the, the cattle were drained of blood with no sign of blood around them. Some of these claim... Um, that the cow's organs, and in some cases, reproductive system, would be cleanly removed from the cattle and placed nearby. Now, the thing with that is, again, there's still no sign of blood. It's done with a skilled hand, surgical precision. And when they remove the reproductive system or the reports of this, it would still be intact. So, like, nothing's taken apart. It is still fully intact, the reproductive system. And on occasion, when an organ or something might have been taken, that was just taken and missing, and they never recovered the heart or the lungs or whatever organ it was, or the kidney, or I don't know. So these cattle mutilations are just going crazy. Now, I did not include any pictures of the cattle mutilations because not for me. I also don't think anyone wants to see it, but if you do, just Google Skidmocker Ranch cattle mutilations, and they'll come up. Don't you worry. Now, in some pictures and reports, the cow's eye would be cleanly removed from the school and there would be like a perfect circle where the eye should have been and the eye would again be found nearby. Now, the interesting thing with the mutilations with the eyes is it was typically the skyward facing eye. So whatever eye was looking up towards the sky is the one that was always removed, not the one that was towards the ground. 
Um, and you know, aren't your eyes circular? Wouldn't they be like your eyes are oval? Oh, they're oval. I well, like your thought, eye right here. Is I thought oval. that they were spherical. Well, the physical eyeball is spherical, but like right here, it's an oval. And like my socket, it's not a perfect oh, circle. Interesting. I actually did not know that. Fun fact of the day. <laughs> Hashtag you learn something new every day. Let's go. <laughs> Kidding. All Kidding. right. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, many times when they would find these cattle mutilations, there would be a strange chemical smell coming from the cattle itself. Um, and in a lot of reports, these mutilations happened very fast. Like, the report said that, oh, we saw this cattle, this cow, whatever, 20 minutes ago, and then 20 minutes later, they find it having been mutilated. So they're happening super, super fast. And not only was this happening to the Shermans, but it was happening to nearby ranchers as well. So it's not just the Shermans going through these experiences, but they're just having the bulk of them. And the Shermans state that the mutilations always came after UFO sightings. And so they believe that the two were linked. Um, in a 1996 interview, Terry Sherman stated, We've seen them, the UFOs, enough that we know pretty much what the craft looks like. And I think it's definitely associated with the cattle mutilations. When we see the crafts and then the cattle, we have problems. So they're just kind of going through these cattle mutilations, losing their fucking minds. And the Shermans tell of a story when a very large wolf that they claim to be about three times the size of a typical wolf comes in from off the plains. And it comes up to a corral where a bunch of baby calves were. And it actually attempts to pull one of these calves out through the bars. And Terry Sherman and the family sees this. He's able to retrieve a gun and he shoots this wolf point blank several times in an attempt to save the calf. Now, reportedly... The wolf was not fucking phased by this at all, and it just kind of simply continued trying to pull the calf out between the bars. So Terry Sherman or his son or someone runs back inside and gets a bigger gun. And they again shoot this wolf just point blank. This time, however, the wolf finally lets go of the baby calf and takes off. Now, in some reports, the wolf looked at Terry Sherman as if sizing him up and then kind of just calmly walked away. And the Shermans did what they could to track the wolf, but the tracks that they found just kind of disappeared without reasoning. And they do also recall that this creature had the smell of rotting flesh. Now, if we're going to compare this to our Skinwalker episode, let's remember to kill a Skinwalker. There's very special things you have to do with a bullet and you have to aim in a very specific spot or else those bullets are just going to go straight through the Skinwalker. And so that, I mean, I'm just saying, if he shot this skinwalker six times at least, and it was unfazed, or this wolf several times and it was unfazed, I'm going to say that was a skinwalker. That's one of their stories. The Shermans also claim that they found tons of crop circles on many different occasions. And on some of those occasions, the crop circles were near mutilated cows. And in one story, um, they talk about... Their family dogs had gone out, gone missing, and when they found them, it's like the dogs had been crushed into the ground, like something heavy landed on them, and they had no idea what it was. Now, but in there another was nothing on top of them, they were no. just crushed. Yeah. Oh. Now, in another story that the Shermans tell, um, they recount that they walked away from the herd, and moments later, 
they go back to find the herd and they can't find any of these damn cows. They're like, where the hell did they go? And they keep looking, 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 and they finally locate the herd. And when they find them, they're in a catatonic state, standing, you know, perfectly still, not responding, just catatonic. And what's interesting, aside from them being catatonic, is where they were found. All of these cows were found stacked inside of a barn. And they don't know how they got there. Like, just stacked, one on top of each other. Stacked. And it, they're alive. They're alive. Oh, and that makes least, it less fear. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. At least one report says that the, it was so tightly packed, they couldn't open the door. Like, pushing it inward. Like, it was so squashed in there that these Now, that's cows- a senior prank. <laughs> You're right. Um... So there's no explanation how they got there, why they were catatonic. They said they had to throw water on these cows to get them to come out of that trance. Just crazy things. They also tell about how they were terrorized by the the aliens or the cryptids. And Gwen Sherman, wow, that's not what that sentence says at all. Not only were they terrorized by the aliens or cryptids, but they also tell a story of um, poltergeist as well on the property. Gwen Sherman tells the story of coming home from the grocery store. She puts all the groceries away. She's happy. She leaves. She comes back and all the groceries are just out. Like she didn't do anything. And she is like, no, I thought 1000% no, I put these away. And so they're, they're not only having cryptid and UFO. ADHD, but I will definitely be that one person to be like, I put these things away. And then they're not away. That like. Literally the next hour. I want to say her kids helped her too. And they're all like, no, 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 this was all put away. So that right there, that's when I'm gone. If if the kids helped her too, like that's literally a second, third, fourth, what have you witness that. Right. No. Right. 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 So definitely crazy. Cause now not only are they having UFO cryptid and now, poltergeisty activity they just got it all on this ranch and they did try to get out of there pretty quickly because they sold that pretty quickly they had dead bolts and locks on all the cabinets and doors to keep it closed because of the poltergeist so like they were taking preventative measures to keep shit closed you sure that wasn't for the kids they had a lot of kids right uh, i don't think they had that many kids oh we're not talking about the sol- solder children anymore we've moved on well i thought they had at least a couple Sherman's really only they have a couple. Two. I think they right? have two, two or three. three. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember how many they have. They didn't have a lot. They didn't have, yeah. The, but, you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, they didn't have a ton. But they do have a nephew that tells of an experience that happened to him at what's known as the triangle, which, if you look at that picture, the first picture, the circle is the area of the triangle. And you can see a little triangle. In the dirt right there. So the nephew tells of a story. Yeah, goddamn triangle. Why the fuck did you right. put a circle when I when I'm supposed to see a fucking triangle, Bryce? You can see a triangle in the damn circle. I don't yeah, see a like fucking a, triangle. Zoom in. It's written in dirt or whatever. It That's looks like dirt. a dirt trail. Yeah. Let it's me known fuck. as okay. The okay, hold up, hold up. Let me control plus. Listen, Ray, I'm blind and I can see that from a distance. You know what? 
There's a triangle. I have ADHD, okay? It is hard for me to focus on certain points in whatever the fuck you're talking about. So leave me alone. I'm just trying to tell you it's there. Anyway, so a nephew of the Shermans tells that they were in the triangle and he said they looked up into the sky and they just saw a portal open in front of their eyes. An object came out and then the portal closed. So, like, they're saying they're physically seeing these things happen in front of their eyes. And portals do also become very common for experiences. Many people say on Homestead 2 that they will see portals open and close there. And it'll, like, some of the stories are like, it's nighttime here, but a portal opens and it's daytime in the portal. So it's definitely, definitely crazy. And like that. Yeah. And the Shermans were just really terrorized, and they did sell the ranch in 1996 to Robert Bigelow, and he purchased the ranch for $200,000. Again, he funded, founded and funded NIDS. He was just convinced of all these stories, and he was like, I'm buying it. Done. Period. Done. And again, eventually the government funding comes into play. He receives um, the funding from the Pentagon, and none of the information is really published. A lot of people say they didn't find anything. But you have that book, um, which I don't remember what it's called, but it was written by Colm Keller and George Knapp, who were part of the NIDS team, and they recount of all their different experiences. And one of the stories that these, these guys tell of in this book is that in 1997, sometime in March, um, biochemist Cole Kelmer, Keller? Keller. Keller. There's no M in his name. He claimed to see a large humanoid creature spying on the research team from a tree that was approximately 50 yards away from them and about 20 feet off the ground. And no. Keller, Keller claims to have looked up into the tree. 20 feet off of, I'm sorry to interrupt you. 20 feet off of the ground? Yes. In a tree. It's in a tree. You can climb a tree up 20 feet. Don't give a shit. 20 feet off of the ground is fucking high as hell that's like literally me climbing okay i'm five four me climbing three and a half of me's i don't see your point three and a half foot of me's okay point is is that it's 20 feet off the ground they look up into the tree and they say they see this large figure with yellow unblinking eyes just watching them and they Yellow shot at it. Eyes is really scary. Oh no, that didn't um, even mess with me as much as the unblinking. The unblinking. Part. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I get those people who have hazel eyes, but yellow eyes is just like when I think of yellow eyes, I just think of bright fucking yellow eyes just staring at you, like sunshine colored eyes staring at you. You know, it really could have been worse. It could have been red eyes. I honestly think the yellow eyes is scarier because that's what I imagine like I don't know fucking werewolves and coyotes and shit like that vampires I don't know from Harry Potter because Harry Potter has werewolf yellow eyes so I don't know I was just Uh, trying to figure out why coyotes have yellow eyes Harry Potter that's why anyway so this team, they claimed that they shot at it and it disappeared. And Keller spotted a strange print 
that looked almost like a giant raptor footprint that was about six inches in diameter in the snow that was underneath the tree. Because it's March in Utah, it's cold, there's snow. Um, and they basically said it looked to have two sharp claws protruding from the back, almost kind of like a bird of prey. And the depth of the print led them to also believe that it was a fairly large or solid creature. Like, that thing had to have a lot of muscle mass or something behind it. And after the AATIP and Bigelow Aerospace and their research, again, they claimed that they weren't able to capture any meaningful physical evidence supporting the Sherman's claims. But none of their findings are public. It's all classified. So no one knows anything. And then that leads us to Brandon Fugel. And Brandon Fugel purchased the property in 2016 uh, via Adamantium Holdings. And Bree, this is your jam, your your conspiracy theory. So I'm going to let you have at your conspiracy theory. All right, y'all. Here's my conspiracy theory. A shell company by the name of Adamantium Holdings, LLC, slash real estate, then purchased the area in... 2016 and has since trademarked the name Skinwalker Ranch. For those of you who don't know, because I had no idea, <laughs> a shell company described by Will Kenton from Investopedia is, quote, a corporation without active business operations or significant assets. These types of corporations are not necessarily illegal, but they sometimes are but they are sometimes used illegitimately. But they are sometimes used illegitimately, such as to disguise business business ownership from law enforcement or the public. End quote. Sorry that took so long, y'all. I apologize. Brandon Fugel is the supposed owner of Skinwalker Ranch, according to history casting page for the show the show is as bryce described skinwalker ranch yeah as bryce described the secret of skinwalker ranch or just in general skinwalker ranch the secret of skinwalker ranch whatever you want to call it okay however brandon fugel's linkedin page y'all and i know this is such a high stretch but just listen to me for one sec Brandon Fugel's LinkedIn page states that he is currently the chairman of Collier's International, the co-founder and board member of Accents, the strategic advisor at Xcenter Incorporated, the managing partner at, and I'm sorry if I pronounce this wrong, it is Hawaiian, Pomekei Partners, the executive producer of the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, which is the documentary story and show that follows Fugel and his team. And finally, the owner of Adamantium Real Estate. How the fuck can you be all of that? I'll Literally tell you in a minute, but... How... Don't... I'll tell you in a minute. If you deframe my conspiracy, I will be pissed at you. Oh, I'm going to. I will literally to. add more fucking on to this shit. I literally, I researched this shit so mm. Continue. Oh, I fucking will. 
According to Brett White from Decider.com, there is no information located anywhere on who owns this company, Adamantium Real Estate or Adamantium Holdings, LLC. He researched Adamantium Holdings on Google and found business pages for the companies listed that only listed one employee contact and found the name Lauren A. Wright. I did some Google searching of my own and found that only five pages, literally on Google, when you research Adamantium Holdings LLC, that were remotely similar to what I was looking for. I too found only one person listed under employees whose name was Lauren A. Wright on one page specifically, and I couldn't tell you the name of it, but on one page specifically, I saw the name or I saw that there were two employees listed, but in the names column, of course, it only listed Lauren A. Wright. And so there was not an address for this company, obviously, because if there's only one employee, you're not going to get a definitive address. The only address listed is that of a house, presumably presumably that of rights. And when I looked this company up on LinkedIn, it says that there's only one other person other than Brandon Fugel, who works at the company, listed as Fugel's wife, Kristen. And she is the director of legal affairs at this current company. LinkedIn also does not recognize Adamantium Real Estate or Adamantium Holdings, LLC, as a legitimate company, aka when you look it up, it literally does not filter as the company's page, aka you cannot say, I worked at this company for this many years. But for some reason, it does for Brandon Fugel and for Kristen Fugel. The end. That is my conspiracy. But I would like to point out beforehand that it's fucking bizarre that this company seems like such a huge ass company to buy Skinwalker Ranch for so much money. However, you cannot find it anywhere. In Google, in LinkedIn, in Facebook, in Twitter, in Instagram, and whatever the hell you want to call it. You cannot find it anywhere. And Bryce, if you delete this shit, I will be so pissed. But deleting it, I'm just going to legitimize some of the things that you are saying. So first some. of all, some. the only thing I don't know is why who this Lori Wright is or whoever it is. And I really didn't care to figure out. So first of all. Your concern with Brandon Fugel having so many different titles. He's an investor in these companies. They give him a fancy title. He's, of course, going to put that on anything he can. Things such as chairman. Um, what was the other one? Managing partner. Um, strategic advisor. You have my He's notes an investor. literally looked up. You, you can't say shit. I'm fully saying Wait, he's I- an <laughs> investor. He's put money into these companies and it's a significant amount of money. That they're going to give him a fancy title. That's how he has these titles. That's all it comes down to. Is he is a very wealthy investor. It's easy enough. Now, 
for everyone that's like, well, no one can find information for Adamantium withholdings. Brie, you said it yourself. It's a shell company. They don't have significant business. They don't have significant um, withholdings. They don't have significant anything. So what I believe is that Brandon Fugel, being the very smart man that he is, he purchased Skinwalker Ranch, trying to keep his, his, his secret of who bought it in 2016, using Adamantium withholdings because it's a shell company. No one knows who owns it at that point. He purchased it. He then went in and trademarked anything Skinwalker Ranch related, turned around and created a TV show, released that he owned it. And now he is making all of this money because he's been able to get publicity out of it. There's nothing crazy about it. He just played the system. He played the media. He played the public. He knew what he was doing. Because if he did not, if he hadn't trademarked everything before releasing who owned the ranch, then I might say it was fishier. But he went in, trademarked everything, then told everyone, yep, I purchased it. Guess what? We're now making a TV show. And let's say if this conspiracy comes on and everyone's going to say, oh, the government actually owns it or they have something to do with it. There is no way in hell the government is going to allow cameras on their property while they're doing any experimentation, research, anything. That'd be like them opening up Area 51 for cameras, and it's not going to happen. Okay. So, my thing is that regardless if it's a shell company or not, there has to be some sort of information on Google, on the public web because if there's not and just let me get to the I guess bottom of this I don't even know but regardless if there's not there has to be some sort of information because even if it's not a company that's used illegitimately or a company that's used to disguise a business ownership from law enforcement or from the public it i mean it has to be known legitimately right it is known it it is publicly known as it is not known it is not known. Is known to be owned Adamantium by Adamantium is not fucking known. No, it is not. It is literally an illegitimate company. Okay, Amanda, you tell us your what your thoughts are. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, I hate this. I love you, Bryce, but I hate this. Is it because okay. I'm having you question yourself on some of these items? Fuck you! floor is yours for your theory what do you feel like i i feel like both of you have your truths because when it comes down to it like that is the point of a shell corporation but just because it's not known publicly does not mean that there's no way of finding out who it belongs to because if the police or whoever they have to find out they can find out but just because somebody owns a business, they don't have to tell us that. Did Bree turn her to... back on us? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to repeat all that, ain't I? <laughs> <laughs> repeat the no, second I thought, please. Basically, I believe both of y'all are right, but I'm more along the lines with Bryce just because 
they don't owe us shit as the public. Like, we already know the rich are going to do their rich things. Like, they're not on our side with this. So that's the point of the shell corporations. And that's why they're legal is because they are not required to disclose to the public who owns what. Now, if the police, for whatever reason, need to find out who owns this company, they have their ways of doing that. Just because we can't as the public doesn't mean that it's completely shut off. Somewhere, somebody somewhere knows who owns that. Just because I can't find it on Google doesn't mean it's, you know, it's, uh, necessarily a conspiracy. And quite frankly, along those lines, it is widely known that Brandon Fugel owns that company. Like he is claiming ownership. Publicly. So if he was trying to hide that, we still wouldn't know who owned this company. But if I mean, anything, he, I'm sorry yeah, to interrupt. Anybody. That's what I don't understand is why. And that part is weird to me. Like if you, if you come out and publicly, you're like, Hey, I bought that. Then why did you use a shell, a shell corporation to do it? Unless he's trying to keep where his money is or whatever a secret. I don't Pers know. Personally, I think he did it for the publicity because he didn't tell anyone for a couple years. So there was this mystery around who owned Skinwalker Ranch. And then for him to come out, all of a sudden he's got the public eye on him being like, oh, it was Brandon Fugel. And then he starts a show on it. So he's he's using it, in my mind, as marketing and he's using the media to his advantage. Yeah, that does make sense. The free publicity part. I forgot y'all had mentioned that. The, f the free publicity, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's my theory on it. So no, I totally understand, though. It's very odd that he waited so long and that he just, out of the blue, just said this. But it doesn't make sense, Bryce, what you were saying, that he just completely... He, he got his publicity he, he, he took, needed. He, yeah, he completely took control of the company and then... All of a sudden, he just got this. I mean, there became a documentary. Yeah, and so that's um, where I'm saying is I think he, he played his cards well. So let me go back to my timeline really quick. So he purchases via Adamantium Holdings in 2016 Skinwalker Ranch. And then in 2020, he reveals that he is the owner. And that same year, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch heirs so not only is he like oh by the way i'm coming out but i'm also doing research on this ranch and we're gonna publicize it like he's piquing the public interest by doing this he's he's doing everything he can to keep a mystery behind it oh no one knows who it is and then all of a sudden it's like oh it's me and i have the show and now he's making bank and trust me he's made bank off of me because i purchased both of the uh, both seasons of skinwalker ranch like, I'm one of those people he targeted, and he got me. So that's my theory on how that Still all... don't believe him. 110%, regardless of what you say, regardless of what Amanda says. And Amanda, I know you said that you believe both sides, but at the end, he went towards Bryce. <laughs> I still think that he literally purchased this shit because of the fucking government. You... But what about why would he purchase it because of the government? 
The government's already been in. They've already had their chance to purchase the ranch. They've already had the government their is already in because regardless of the amount of shit that they have, they want more fucking shit. They want more videos. They want more shit. They want more everything of what they already have so that they can use it against the people. We're gonna be tracked. Bree is gonna be tracked down by the government for yeah. her conspiracy theories. And you Brandon know, I Fugle really have so many conspiracies. I can't listen. Brandon Fugel's gonna reach out and be like, "I need to talk to Bree one on one." The government's coming for her. She's fucked. Even Brandon worse, he's gonna give us a reach out. No, no, no. Br- Brandon Fugel is not even gonna reach out to me. Literally, the government is just gonna contact me saying that I'm under arrest. Regardless, I I don't even care. And we're going to go, it wasn't me. Not me. Bree's going to get a letter in the mail that says, in seven to ten business days, we'll be there to arrest you. (laughs) And Amanda and I will get the cease and desist from Mm -hmm. Brandon Fugel. (laughs) We're sorry, Brandon. Look, I I, I If you ever get that. (laughs) We'll probably get on the hell on you. It's just sketchy as fuck. Those, yeah, but okay, those of you who believe in what I'm saying, it's sketchy as fuck. There are so many holes in this, right? There just are so many things that just don't make sense. There is also an entire pyramid of Brandon Fugel. The fact that he randomly became an investor of this company, then or randomly became an investor of Skinwalker Ranch, then randomly- No, 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 no. he was not shot, an investor. Shot, shot out of the blue, right? He the, did not become, a, he the, purchased Skinwalker Ranch. He was not ever an inv- investor. He outright purchased it. Okay. Purchased Skinwalker Ranch. Randomly out of the blue, just fucking like obtained this shit, then got a documentary just out of the blue. He Weird did shit. that though. He's rich. He can do whatever he wants. All right, keep going with this story. Okay, I'm done. we've my, gone on too long a rant. With my conspiracy theorists understand what I'm saying. I get where you're coming from, but I can also fill in those. Also, gaps please delete half things. of the things that I've said. This is going to be a hard episode to edit. Yeah. Okay. So I think of that too. <laughs> in 2019, if not earlier, um, Brandon Fugel brings on Dr. Travis Taylor. And Dr. Travis Taylor is an engineer. He holds PhDs in optical science and engineering, aerospace systems engineering, and a master's degree in physics and astronomy. And he has been in this field for 25 years. And in his 25 years, he's worked with the DOD and he has worked with NASA. He does have federal clearance um, because he's bougie. He's cool. In 2020, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, that airs. During the course of the show... The researchers have a number of different experiences. Um, Some of the experiences that they talk about before the show begins is that there is like a 500 foot section of the Mesa that just becomes illuminated with no explanation. There were no aircrafts or anything in that area that would have illuminated it. And they do track flights over their area. They don't they don't just assume that there's a flight. They track all of them. They see columns of lights kind of like um the word spotlights yes like a spotlight shooting up from the mesa into the air when there should be nothing there um they also see a traveling light found above the mesa that moves much faster than any airplane and there were no flights going over the mesa at the time 
And so when Dr. Taylor joins the team, he's told that when new people show up to the ranch, it acts differently. And so he's like, what the hell are you people talking about? Like, this, it's, it's a property. How is it going to act differently? And they kind of start doing some research. He starts seeing some weird things and having some, like, they're seeing some weird uh, readings on different equipment, uh, like for RF frequencies, that type of stuff. And he's kind of like, okay, well, we need to do all this stuff. And he goes, I would like to dig on the ranch. And my God, they all had to come apart. Hell no, they're not digging on the ranch, okay? Okay, so we're still not digging on the ranch. We're still not digging. Not in season one, okay? Okay. So no digging, period. End of story. Bad things happen. And one of the, the bad things that happen, um, they actually use the cautionary tale of Thomas Winter, Winter, Winterton? Winderton. Winderton. I have Winderton. That doesn't sound right. Um, point is, he's the rat ranch superintendent. And what Thomas claims is that he got to the ranch and he's like, this is all garbage and fooey and no one believes in this. And so he does actually do some digging on the ranch. And just a couple days after he does this digging, he starts experiencing pain in his head. And he actually ends up getting a really big goose egg on his head. And he ends up going to the, the hospital because he's like, I'm in severe pain. I don't understand what's going on. And basically, they find that his scalp had separated from his skull. And so he had Excuse just fluid. the fuck out of me. Yes. And they see this type of treatment very rarely with like radiation therapies. So they radiation have no idea. therapy? Like for like chemo or radiation for cancer. It was the wind. The winds, the winds brought it. Yeah. It was the radiation oh. on the breeze. Mm-hmm. Y'all are motherfucking tripping. How? I did mention that in the in the mid-40s, early 50s, the Manhattan Project with the atomic bombs, the nuclear fallout was actually brought into this area of Utah from the winds, which is very what common. What year was this? Uh, the f- 1940s, 50s is when that happened, and then this what is 2020. What Manhattan? The what? 40, a- mid-40s, early 50s. That, that answers <laughs> your question right fucking there. How the fuck could 100 years make it to... It- 80 years, 70 years. How? Not necessarily. Look at, um. In what world? I hope that makes a difference. Chernobyl. No. Chernobyl. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Chernobyl. Chernobyl. It's still radioactive to this day. Are they still yeah. doing experiments, though, on people based off. Are, are they still finding bodies based off of the radioactive deficiencies that. What that the radioaction? I'm so confused because what we're saying is that the area is potentially radioactive in areas. Chernobyl still shows high radioactive levels, and that was Mm -hmm. years, 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 years ago. You know, it it's not that decay doesn't go away easy. It takes a very long time for that nuclear fallout to no longer be radioactive. Totally understands. However. Currently, there is a way for you to test the bone fragments slash whatever remains you find based on the amount of hours, days, months, years that it takes for you to find it. Shut up, Simba. 
What are we talking about? Because no remains have been found. Thomas yeah, Hunter is still alive. Nope, nobody mentioned remains. I'm tripping. I'm sorry. No, Bye. Thomas Winterton is still alive. He's still fine and healthy. Well, aside from his separated skull, he's still alive. So there's no remains with it. He actually tells this tale himself in, in the episodes or whatever. He talks about how he did not believe that the ranch had any weird going ons. And then all of a sudden he digs and now he's got the separation from his um, skull to his scalp. Like he And their doctors say there's no way because like the radiation therapy they do on cancer patients is very rare that it happens to them. So they didn't understand how that could happen to him. So did they ever glue that back on? Did he ever get that fixed? Uh, I think the swelling just kind of went down and he just pats it every now and then, make sure there's not a goose egg. Yeah. And he also Uh, does not talk shit about Skinwalker Ranch anymore, I'm sure. No, he does not. He was like, no digging. Done. (laughs) Now he digs. It's fine. Um, Oh, I guess that was a spoiler. Sorry. So they tell that story as like their cautionary tale. And then the first season, it's very much like a no digging. Um, There might have been a couple episodes where they got approval to dig a little bit, but not a lot. Who do they get approval from? Brandon Fugel. Oh, okay. So I don't know if they like prayed or something. <laughs> no, it's just Brandon Fugel. Oh, okay. I guess they might pray to him. I don't know. <laughs> but so that happens and they're like, all right, well, we'll do other tests. And they do find areas of the ranch that affect their phones in the same way that a neo neodymium magnet would. And it's just basically a very strong magnet. Um, so very weird that the earth in those areas might be magnetized. Um, they have tons of issues with equipment and electronics, a ton of issues in the Triangle area and in Homestead too. And I mean, they have things such as like electromagnetic and radio frequencies and radiation spikes will just randomly occur out of normal ranges. But then like the next time they go there, they're, it's normal. Like they can't explain it. It's constantly changing. Um, They have just equipment would malfunction. Equipment would be found with the inside shredded. So like when they opened it up to be like, what the hell's wrong with this? It's like the insides are shredded. Um, Batteries get drained, which is very common. Um, Equipment shorts out. Phones go haywire. And a lot of times they use the phones going haywire as like a sign of something going on. Because a lot of times they notice that it correlates. Um, Again, they do have strange radiation spikes. And those have actually affected both Travis Taylor the ranch super, nope, and the ranch superintendent Thomas Winterton. So Travis Taylor actually opened something he probably shouldn't have, released a demon or whatever, and he actually ended up with radiation burns on his hand, confirmed by a doctor, as well as on his face. Um, so, I mean, there's something going on here. And so I actually have the story. So he was looking into a cistern near Homestead 2, and he just... Felt dizzy all of a sudden. He closes the cistern and they walk away. And then he develops these lesions on his hands and his face. And when he goes to the doctor, they're like, these are radiation burns. Like these are, what what do you mean? What are these? These are radiation burns. And I mean, we know there's the chance that there was the nuclear fallout that came over that area. And he actually ended up having to have surgery because he suddenly developed bone spurs in his hand as well. So, I mean, he's, he's just, he's got getting everything. Um, so they have those spikes. They also find that at higher altitudes, the RF radiation numbers increase. 
Um, and they also, the entire team claims to have seen on multiple occasions and in multiple locations, they claim to have seen UFOs and they do show the, the little specks or whatever on the show. And some of them are just like a small, the biggest one that they see is like a, it's a small ball in the sky. It's always about in the same area. It doesn't move like a bird. It really just kind of hovers and it's not moving like an airplane. And they they can track which airplanes are in that area. And they are like, what the hell? So they get these really strange radio frequencies as well that they, they know are man-made, but there's no way for them to replicate it. Just all these crazy things. And they also find on the more paranormal ghostly side, they find a secret room in one of the homesteads that's inhabited by the caretakers of the ranch. Um, they had fancy titles. I don't remember what, of them, what they are, but the caretakers of the ranch, they live in this house. I think it's Homestead One. And they hear, they, they claim to hear like strange noises, like clawing on the side of the house, feel vibrations in their house, all of these things. And I would like to just do another flashback to the last episode with Skinwalkers. Skinwalkers would claw the side of the house to get your attention to get in. Anyways, um, so in the basement, they were able to identify like a sealed off room that they had no idea about. And, you know, they get a little camera in there and they're like, oh, my God, are those bone fragments? They break in and they actually do find bone fragments to a likely a small animal that looks like it had possibly been burned. But they can't find any explanation for this. They can't find any way that a small animal would have gotten in and just died there because it looked like it had been burned. And there's not enough fragments to make a whole animal. And they just continue hearing noises in this house. And it, Could it have been bones- possible that half an animal crawled in there and spontaneously combust? Sure. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm putting so- my money on. Okay. Um, the other part of that is why is there a random sealed off room? It doesn't really make a lot of sense there. So, like I said earlier, Homestead 2, they have a ton of activity. And they, I don't know why I have this. That's in the wrong spot. That's, ignore me for a second. Okay. So now, don't ignore me anymore. Now, they do also find a cow that randomly dies from n- pneumonia induced by stress and they do capture this all on camera and what's interesting is they find this this cow it's not mutilated it's just dead and the rest of the herd is as far away as they could get from this mutilate or from this dead cow and now they are like okay so it was brought on by stress all of a sudden this cow got stressed got pneumonia and died because all his friends are avoiding him they're ostracizing him Well, they do look at the recordings, and when they look back, they actually see at the time that this cow was stressed and dying, there was a black object in the sky over them that they could not explain. And now, to only make that stranger is a lot of ranches, actually all ranches that I'm aware of, when they do have a, a cow die, they drag it to a remote area of the property and let nature do its thing. Scavengers, you know, they'll go and eat the body, they'll do what nature does. This cow sat for a year and not even a bug touched it. Nothing touched it. How did it decompose? It. Did it? Like, I assumed that it did, but it took longer because it's just decomposing. Touching yeah, it. nothing's touching it. It's just decomposing like it would if nothing touched it. That's wild. <laughs> and they still don't know why it did that. They don't know why nothing has touched it. Um, yeah, that's sketchy. 
Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, now, in season two, they get a little bit bolder. They're like, we're going to dig this year. Yes. And they actually find a, a hole that someone decided, I'm bored. Let me fill this with water. And it took several hours for it to fill up with water, but only minutes for it to drain all of the water. And they've done a bunch of things trying to figure out where is this water coming out and they can't figure it out. And they do believe that there is an underwater or underground water system of some sort underneath. And they actually do later on figure out that there is running water underneath the ground in certain areas. So they think, okay, maybe that's where it goes. But that also running water can create like electricity, basically. Um, And that might possibly be the cause of some of the things that they experience. Um. Yes. Do you know if they've ever used the ground uh, ground penetrating radar? <laughs> I think so. I can't remember. Yes, they did. I for sure okay. they did. They do use that, and they get some weird readings. They believe that there's like a structure under the ground that's like a football shape. Huh. That's like a thousand feet long, or something oh, shit, like that. I didn't answer my question. Now I just have more questions. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> so, Skinwalker Ranch in a nutshell. Yes. I just have more questions. <laughs> exactly. They do identify areas of the ranch where the traditional compass just kind of spins and spins and spins. Like, there's no reason for it to do that. But they also find that when they use, like, a compass on their phone, it also will always be off a little bit in certain areas. So, very weird things right there. Um, in the triangle, they do, um, they drill down trying to get to 100 feet, and they do find the running water in some areas of that triangle. So they're like, well, maybe all that water goes there. Um, And then they also decide, all right, let's dig. And the reason they decide to dig is because Brandon Fugel says, I found the coordinates. I was able to gain someone's trust and they gave me the coordinates. The man in the blue outfit told us about so many years ago. And they put in those coordinates and it leads them to the center of this just huge boulder. So, of course, they're like, well, we were explicitly told not to dig here, so let's dig here. Because they're bolder now. It's been a year, you know. Uh, And they actually flip this rock up. And on the underside of this giant boulder is what looks like a carving of a Thunderbird. Oh, and just for anybody wondering, that's not a car. No, the Thunderbird is not a car. It's a mythical creature. Yeah, in this instance, it's like a myth. It's a bird. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover Thunderbirds one day. Not today, but... Um, they they see what they think is a carving of a thunderbird, but it's crazy because it's on the underside of the rock. So it very well could just be a coincidence. I understand that, but still. And they do dig there, and they don't find anything. Um, they dig in several other places of the ground, and they're finding that either the ground is electrically charged or it's magnified, like it's magnetic in some ways. So they find all these crazy things, and. Um, as things go on, they actually start kind of thinking, all right, portals on the ranch going to happen. Let's open one. And they perform an ancient Jewish ceremony or ritual in an attempt to open a portal. And interestingly enough, as soon as the ritual ends, on several occasions where their infrared cameras are pointed at Homestead 2, they see a significant drop in temperature. And so they begin to theorize, maybe there's wormholes here. Yes. 
I didn't hear that wrong. You did say Jewish, right? <laughs> yeah, I was thrown Why? off by that. Why I don't know. Jewish? It didn't say? I don't know. I half expected it to be an ancient Mormon ritual, because, you know, we're in Utah. That's not what it was. It was Jewish. Maybe a Native American ritual? I, I, okay. Okay. So okay. Let me know specifically. Was it Native American? Was it... It was Jewish. Mormon? Was it Jewish? It was Jewish. Was it... Okay. It was a Jewish ritual. Okay. Um, but when this ritual is performed, when it ends, like they're just seeing these crazy temperature changes in the homestead when it shouldn't be changing. Um, and when they do perform these rituals, at least on one occasion, they actually see something on the ground. And Thomas Winterton, with the one with the head injury, he's given up being afraid because he chases after that shit. And he's like, goodbye. And they no, don't ever know. because of the head injury. <laughs> That's because of the head injury. You know what? He's like, if I'm going to die, I'm going out a cool way. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I mean, they just find all these crazy things. They find out that the ground is electrically charged enough to like power a flashlight, basically. And I mean, they just, they have these crazy experiences. And one of the crazier experiences that they do have, um, I mean, they have a couple. They have one where they're sitting around because Travis Taylor's sleeps on the property in a trailer uh, a very fancy trailer might i add but he's on the property with this trailer and they're all hanging around eating goofing off doing whatever boys do i don't know and they hear something off in the distance and the security guard that was with them sees something and they go taking off and they basically say that they saw this like yellow glowing cube and it just disappeared but they didn't get it on camera, of course. I mean, you get their reactions on camera. It could have been very much faked, whatever. Um, but, I mean, they were very much like, holy shit, what was that? And then they also see something else on the ground that they chase after and can't, can't get. I mean, they have all these things that they're like, oh my gosh, we're seeing all these crazy things. And, I mean, they, they do end up, they either theorize something's in the ground or there's something above us. They don't know which one. They don't know if it's both. And the reason they think that there's something above them is because a lot of times um, the gamma and the RF readings will just spike when they go up. And so they decide we're going to take Brandon Fugel's helicopter and we're going to go up to 10,000 feet above sea level. And we're already about 5,000 feet above sea level. And so they they get in and it's Brandon Fugel's brother, of course, uh, takes him in the helicopter. And they're, I mean, a good 3,000 feet from the ground. And his helicopter keeps saying that there's something 40 feet under him, but it's tracking them. So they're going in a spiral and it's still, it's following them in the spiral and they do not make it to 10,000 feet. That's when you fly home and never co come back. Right. Fly home um, and never come back. Yeah. And um, they do believe that they are being watched by government officials um, because in in at least the first season, there was an unidentified helicopter just hovering and watching them. So, you know, there's that. Tell you all uh, at the very beginning, government officials. You never know. Yeah, but it's not owned by the government. Like, there's nothing crazy about Brandon Fugel. I mean, aside well, from the fact that he spent $4.5 million on a haunted-ass ranch. But... Today, Skinwalker Ranch is, in fact, closed to the public. So please don't ask to go there because we're not going to go. Um, they yeah, that's what's stopping me from going. 
they still people to this day still report seeing portals open and close alien creatures um observing them from the mesa or through windows or finding odd three-toed tracks on the ground near ufo sightings they see disembodied unidentifiable um or hear disembodied unidentifiable languages come through somewhere overhead and just crazy other sightings like we've talked about um, and even to this day, many people will absolutely refuse to ever step foot back on Skinwalker Ranch due to their experiences. And there you have it. That's Skinwalker Ranch. Ranch is creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, creepy. I'm not going to lie. Like, yep. it's creepy as hell. Much agreed. So there you guys have it. That is Skinwalker Ranch. I know it was a really long one. And also we had a lot of disagreements with the conspiracy (laughs) theory. So that took a lot of time. That one got a little heated. It's fine. Now I'm tired (laughs) as fuck. All right. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hell on Heels podcast. I think Twitter is just Hell on Heels pod. And Facebook, we do have a Facebook group that you can follow us on, which is Hell on Heels Podcast. If you want to support us, you can donate through Patreon. Um, if you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Linktree. The easiest way to find us there is just go to Instagram and pull up our Linktree from there. Um, and that will have all the links to all the things that we have. As always, big shout out to James, Amanda's husband, for creating our intro music. We do appreciate it. Even though you don't listen to us, it's fine. I will still be that person to say thank you every time. Anyways, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you can. Um, You are able to now, not review us, to rate us on Spotify. So go ahead and give us a five-star rating. That would be wonderful. Um, If we're not on your preferred listening platform, please let us know and work on getting those episodes up on those platforms. And this has been Hell on Heels podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye. See y'all later. Bye, y'all.